back on September 16th, 1976, there was a, a trolley bus, public transport bus, that lost control and crashed through a guardrail and uh, fell into the waters of the, the Yerevan Lake uh, in Armenia uh, at that point in time, uh, part of the, the Soviet Union. There were 92 people aboard that bus, and that day there was a, a 23-year-old young man who was jogging around the lake with his brother. That man was named Shavarsh Karapetian, and, and he and his brother had just finished running 20 kilometers, 12 miles. They were fin swimmers, so uh, kind of a Olympic caliber swimmers. So rather than swimming on the surface of the water, they uh, swim underneath and they have uh, flippers uh, on their, their feet and they uh, compete in that way. And so the, there these two brothers are. Uh, they see that the, this trolley bus crash uh, into the, the, this uh, reservoir. Uh, and uh, the, the bus came to a halt underneath the, the water, about 30 feet deep and about 80 feet offshore. Now, this uh, water in this reservoir is, is cold. Uh, it is uh, dirty from sewage. Uh, and it, there's uh, a lot of silt in the water uh, that was uh, brought uh, and uh, disturbed because of the, the bus going in. So it was really extremely difficult to see. Uh, and so despite all of this, uh, Shavarsh Karapetian uh, dove into the water. Uh, his brother stayed uh, on the, the shore. Uh, Shavarsh dove in, uh, swam down uh, to the back of the bus, kicked out the back window, uh, and began to, to bring people out. Uh, and he, uh, each swim down was about 25 uh, seconds, uh, and he would bring up at at least one person uh, each occasion. Uh, uh, I read numerous articles on this uh, uh, event, uh, and some had him going down 20 times, and some had him going down up to 40 times, uh, that he uh, went down into the water. and all, he pulled out 37 people uh, of the 92, uh, and another nine people were able to escape from the bus through the window that he had kicked out. And... Uh, a total of, of 46 uh, escaped that crash, but only 20 of those survived. Even though there was uh, medical care uh, on the shore, uh, there were 26 uh, who made it out of the, the bus but died on shore. Uh, and uh, Karapetian continued to make those dives until he lost consciousness, kept going in and out of the water. And he himself was hospitalized for a total of 45 days because of multiple lacerations that he suffered from broken glass. You can imagine swimming in and out uh, of that window to get people. Uh, and because the, the water was so cold uh, and because of the, the pollution within the water, he uh, also developed, while he was in the hospital, pneumonia and sepsis. So uh, prior to this incident, he was the, the holder of 11 world records, uh, 17 world championship titles, 13 European titles, 7 Soviet titles, uh, all of them in underwater uh, swimming. And he swam one final race after this incident, uh, and he won that and set a new world record. But at that race, he realized that because of the, the complications and the health issues uh, that he uh, suffered uh, in that uh, rescue, that he needed to retire from professional swimming at the age of 24. 
It's a, it's a remarkable, remarkable story that he was, uh, as a young man, willing uh, to do that and uh, profound that he was able to, to save the lives of 20 people. Now, whenever we hear a story like this, we, we cannot help but uh, admire the, the courage and the selflessness uh, of such a young man, right? Uh, and uh, whenever I hear stories like that, I naturally begin to think, what would I do if I were in that situation? Would, would I have been that brave, that selfless, that loving uh, to, to plunge into that water over and over again? Uh, and in the account, he just he kept thinking about the people who would have been down there in the water drowning. And each time that would motivate him to go back in, to dive down, to swim quickly. You think about that, 80 feet, 30 feet down, 25 seconds. That's an intense swim. Uh, and so many times, so repeatedly, that he eventually just lost consciousness. Would we have been willing to do the same? And as we, as we evaluate that question, on, on the one hand, we will never know because we're not presented with that same situation. Right? Could we be that selfless and that loving? Now, now, we don't know how we would respond in that exact situation, but we all have countless opportunities uh, to be selfless and loving and courageously sacrificial for others. Uh, not necessarily diving into cold, dirty water, but each and every day uh, living uh, to serve and love others uh, to the glory of God. Uh, we have countless opportunities to do that each day, each week, each year. And but many of us struggle to respond to the opportunities. We struggle to, to seize those opportunities. We kind of tend to, uh, to drag our feet. But as Christians, we ought to be examples of selfless love for others. Right? We, we ought to be uh, salt and light in our communities in a way that everybody else looks and says, Wow, what's different? What's unique about them? But we all struggle and we all fall in this area. And why is that? Why is that? And how do we begin to grow? Because each and every one of us here knows that we don't love our neighbors perfectly, let alone just within our church body. We don't even love our own families perfectly, right? Just ask our families. We all struggle in this area. And Jesus knows that. Jesus knows us. Jesus knows his own disciples. And that's why uh, here in John 15, as he is walking from the upper room uh, and he's walking with the 11 disciples and he's walking through Jerusalem on his way to the Garden of Gethsemane outside of the city on the eastern side on the, on the Mount of Olives. And he is uh, giving final instructions uh, to these 11 disciples. Uh, and he knows what they need to, to focus on in the future. At the beginning of John chapter 15, we saw the parable of the vine, and that was a, an illustration, a, a parable of how uh, the disciples are to relate to Jesus uh, moving forward. And what was the big overall message? They were to abide in him. Now, here in this portion that we're studying this morning and over the, the last couple of weeks, uh, the overall message is how they are to relate to one another. And if we were to, to summarize how they're to relate to one another, they are to love one another. Uh, that, that's the overarching message that Jesus is going to, to give here uh, in verses 9 through 17 in John 15. And if you remember from last week, we looked at verses uh, 9 through 11. And in uh, verse uh, 10, he says, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. 
just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. All right, so if our, we talked about our obedience uh, is a demonstration of our love, and our love is going to motivate us to obey the one who has lived and died to save us. We talked about that, that interaction, but there are, uh, how do we go about obeying all of the commands of Christ? There, there's a lot of commands. Could you list all of them out? Uh, there, there's a, a pr- profound book by John Piper. Uh, it says uh, it's called What Jesus uh, Demands of the World, and it walks through every one of uh, Christ's commands to uh, the world. Uh, it's, it's available for free on Desiring God, so I would encourage you, if you want to read it, uh, it it's a wonderful uh, book. Uh, but all of, the, all of the commands of Christ, and really what Jesus does here in this passage as he takes all of those commands and he, he summarizes them in one single command. And he, he doesn't do that so we can minimize our obedience. Well, I just need to do this one thing. It's like, yes, you need to do the one thing. Uh, but, but that one command that Jesus is going to give us here uh, has really infinite number of applications uh, and manifestations. And how Jesus summarizes all of his commands uh, is in this one singular command. If you look at verse 12. Says, this is my commandment, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. This is what we need to, to see and understand. This summary command of Christ how important it is and what we see in these verses is that Christ is going to express the command. He's going to show how this command is exemplified in and of himself and how this command is exalted by him in his own actions. Now, and we're going to look at this summary command and those three uh, kind of functions of what we see here. But I, I want to before we dive in, I want to pause and pray and ask for the Lord to guide us as we study. Almighty God, you are the sovereign one, the one who has given us life and breath and everything. You are the one who has known the end from the beginning, who has written out your word for our benefit and for our blessing. Help us now to comprehend all that Christ has done on our behalf. Help us to comprehend the love that he has shown to us in his sacrificial death on the cross. Help us to to grasp all that he has done and help us to emulate his love for others. We pray in his name. Amen. So as I said, we're going to see uh, three aspects of this summary command. And the first is going to be at the very beginning of verse 12. A very simple statement of this is my commandment, that you love one another. Now, this is the, the expression of the command. And this uh, is, again, it, it's, a, it's a summary command that encapsulates uh, so many other uh, commands within the New Testament and so many of the, the one another's uh, that are given to us in the New Testament. Those, these commands, there's, I think, 33 of them in total in the New Testament where it will say, be patient with one another or serve one another or forgive one another. These are known as the, the one another commands. And the one that is most often repeated is this one right here. To love one another. And again, it it encapsulates all of the others. And many times in the New Testament, if you read through it, the other one another's, it says, serve one another fervently motivated by love. So the command is to serve, but what's the motivation for it? 
love so that you see the the importance and the greatness of this command Uh, and it is repeated numerous numerous times uh, in the new testament if you look back with me into uh, john chapter 13 again it when they we were in the upper room with jesus uh, the disciples were given uh, these words by christ 13 verses 34 and 35 a new commandment i give to you that you love one another even as i have loved you and that you also love one another by this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another so again jesus establishes our love for one another within the church as the distinguishing mark of what it looks like to be a believer that he's going to give the commandment again here in verse 12 so he just talked about it when they were in the upper room now they've left the upper room and they're walking and what does he do again he talks about it again but look at verse 17 in the same exact chapter He says it again. He's kind of a bookend to this uh, section. This command, this I command you that you love one another. Uh, Then he's going to say it later on, uh, or I'm sorry, it's going to be mentioned later on. The disciples understood this. The apostles, as they wrote scripture later on throughout the New Testament, they understood the supremacy of this command. Listen to these references and you can you can jot them down. Romans 12 verse 10 The Apostle Paul says, uh, being devoted to one another in brotherly love. That's what he is calling them uh, to be, devoted in love. Romans 13, 8, owe nothing to anyone except to love one another, for he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. 1 Thessalonians 3, 12, uh, and may the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another and for all people, just as we also do for you. So this is the Apostle Paul speaking to the Thessalonian church, uh, and he's encouraging them to excel still more, continuing what you have doing. He said, hey, you have been abounding in love for one another. Keep doing that. Later on uh, in that same book, chapter 4, verse 9, he says, Now concerning love of the brothers, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. And this is that reality. When the Spirit comes and dwells within us, there is a burden to care for others. Uh, Yes, we know the command, but then there should also be that desire to love our neighbors, to love our fellow Christians uh, to a way that in a way that glorifies Christ. Second Thessalonians chapter one, verse three says we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is only fitting because your faith is growing abundantly and the love of each one of you all toward one another increases all the more. So again, speaking to the Thessalonian church, who they were already loving one another, and he says, he cheers them on, and he says, excel still more. And then in his second letter, he says, hey, it continues to grow. That's one of those characteristics of being in a church body in fellowship with one another, that you should begin to love everybody else here more and more. And really, the first step in that is getting to know people, right? How can you love somebody you don't know, vaguely recognize? And I would encourage you all introduce yourself get to know other people who are here in our church body Uh, and if you don't know somebody what should you do go up and say hi my name is uh thomas i would i'd love to get to know you tell me a little bit about yourself like just go and begin to try to build relationship that's going to be the the first step in loving your neighbor and us all loving one another in the book that we read uh, earlier uh, or last month in first peter 
the Apostle Peter is going to say, since you have in obedience to the truth purified your souls for a love of the brothers without hypocrisy, since you've already done that, and this is what he says now, he says, now fervently love one another from the heart. This is what you've been set apart for. Now do it and do it with fervency. Then First uh, Peter 4, 8, above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. Uh, and then uh, in, if you read through First John, uh, especially chapter 3, chapter 3, verse 11, chapter 3, verse 23, chapter 4, verse 7, chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, and then Second John, verse 5. Uh, The Apostle John, whose gospel we're reading right now, he mentions this exact command over and over again in those passages. And that's going to be his theme. Uh, This lesson sunk in with the disciples. uh, And they understood what they were to call the church to, to love one another. But what does that look like? What does it mean to to love uh, others? There's a loaded term, right, in our culture today, right? You just need to love. Well, what does that actually mean? Uh, The the Greek word that's used here is is agape. It's often uh, translated. There's other multiple words for uh, love. uh, But the one here is agape. It's the the idea of having a warm regard for and an interest in uh, others. Uh, And it, it does contain an emotion, but it is a lot more than an emotion. Uh, there's a, a, a commitment to act on behalf of someone else for their good. It's not just, well, I don't feel like that, right? Do you think uh, Karapetian felt like just taking a swim in cold, dirty water that day? No, he, he went and dove into the water, dove into the muck because he had a concern for the, those people's lives. Now, I love the way author Jerry Bridges defines love. He says, biblical love is not emotions or feelings, but attitudes and actions that seek the best interests of the other person, regardless of how we feel toward them. Right? And that's even what Vincent taught on last week from the book of James. Uh, chapter 2, verses 15 and 16, there was a challenge from uh, James to not just uh, give lip service to caring for others, but uh, what were we to do? Listen to verses 15 and 16. If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and be filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? The call is to not just say, hey, I hope, I hope things work out. The, the call is to, to work out their faith, to demonstrate that their faith is real, that they have a love for God, and that's demonstrated by a care and concern and a love for others. And what is said here, in essence, uh, what we see in, in John chapter 15, is that we are to love one another. That expresses itself in the same way in that passage in, in James, right? It's if a brother or sister is in need. That's speaking about your fellow Christians within your local church body or uh, in the greater invisible church worldwide, even as Matt just prayed. We want to be praying for those around the, the world who are worse off than us and seeking to follow and glorify Christ. And we need to, the best of our abilities, care for our church body and then to meet the the needs of other saints around the world that should be our priority that's what we are called to some of you might ask well am i to love non-christians yes absolutely christ says that we are to to love our enemies 
Uh, and so there is a, a call and, and a command to love our enemies as well. But the, but the call and the command to love one another within the church uh, is to a different degree and to a different priority of love. Now, we don't have permission to hate our enemies, uh, and we must still act for their good. That's what love uh, is intended. Uh, but we are to, to love uh, those within the church uh, in a different uh, way. And uh, I remember my days in, in youth ministry, I remember a student coming up, and I don't remember what his initial question was, but over the course of the discussion, uh, we, were, we were talking, and he made a statement of God. He says, God loves everyone. And I said, well... That's true and not true, all at the same time. It's true in the sense that, yes, God causes the rain to fall on the just and the unjust, right? There is what's known as common grace, uh, that God blesses uh, those uh, in the world with the same kinds of uh, blessing. Uh, Again, common grace, what he gives to the world as a whole, uh, rain and sunshine and food and water, all of these come from his hand, uh, and he extends that grace uh, Uh, to all people, but then God loves his people specifically with a saving grace, Uh, that not everybody experiences the saving grace of God. Everyone experiences common grace, but there is a unique way that God loves his people. And we've seen that throughout John's gospel, Uh, that in John chapter 10, the good shepherd lays his life down for the sheep for those who belong to him uh, and he's speaking to the, the jews who are uh, against him and misunderstanding everything that he's saying and he's just, uh, he just says you're not a part of my flock that's why none of this makes sense to you uh, but if you were a part of my flock you would understand you would hear my voice and you would respond you would experience that saving grace that's the the, the context of what we have here so uh, god loves everyone with common grace but he loves his people with a saving grace Uh, Some might also say, well, if Jesus is summarizing and making this uh, commandment here, what about the greatest commandment? Because really what Jesus is articulating uh, is the the second greatest commandment, that we're to love our neighbor. Uh, But here, he has left out uh, the idea that we are to love God. But I would say, remember what the context is uh, just a couple of verses prior. All of this is flowing out of verses 9 through 11. And the focus of verse 10 was that if we obey Christ's commandment, we would do what? We would abide in his love, right? And so if we are abiding in the love of Christ and how we show a love for Christ is going to be by demonstrating that for a love for others. So this is not separated from a love for Jesus. It's actually part and parcel with it. It's inseparable. Uh, And so we have to keep that in mind. Jesus is speaking to these 11 disciples and he is already assuming a love for him and a love for God the Father. And now he's exhorting them to love one another within the church. And so uh, I think putting a a little bit more uh, feet onto what does this look like to tangibly uh, love your neighbor as yourself, to love others within the church body. I love the way, again, to quote Jerry Bridges, uh, everything that he writes, I would encourage you to read. Okay, so I'll just put that down. Uh, but, but he lists out these ways of how, what it would look like to love uh, our uh, neighbors. He says, number one, you would cherish for your neighbors the very same love that you bear toward yourself. That you would have that same degree of concern. Number two, in your dealings with them, you would never show selfishness, irritability, peevishness, or indifference. And this is where I say we struggle just to love our own family members in this way, right? 
Well, when was the last time you were irritable? It probably wasn't somebody outside of your family. It was probably with some, towards somebody who is inside of your family. But number three, what it looks like to, to love your neighbor. You take a genuine interest in their welfare and you seek to promote their interests, honor, and well-being. Fourth, you never regard them with a feeling of prideful superiority, nor do you ever talk about their failings. All right, that, that's going to be key. Do you go and uh, announce uh, what the, uh, someone else has done? Uh, at our uh, dinner table uh, in the evenings, we, we do something with our kids where we say, what's your high point and low point? Uh, and uh, my boys love to confess the sins of the other. Right. They love to say, well, let me tell you, uh, let me tell you, Dada, what uh, my brother did today. And that's where like, no, 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 you don't need to tell me. You don't need to confess their sin. You don't need to come to me bearing their failings and announcing them. You talk to me about what uh, where did you struggle today Uh, and have you made it right? And how do you need to to work on that? Uh, And so those are the key. We, We love to go and announce what other people are failing at. Sometimes we rehearse that in our own minds. And sometimes we go and announce that to others. And when we do that, we need to understand, what is that? What does the, the Bible call that? I almost gave you the answer. What does the gossip call that? Um, <laughs> the Bible calls that gossip, slander. And, and we need to, to keep that in mind. We don't need to announce the failings of others. We don't need to dwell upon that. We entrust those things to the Lord, knowing that he's going to make all things right. Number five. It says, you never resent any wrongs that they do to you, but instead are always ready to forgive. That's love. And again, that's how does God act towards us? Right? No matter how far we wander away from him, he says, just turn around and I'm ready to forgive. He's always pursuing us, always ready to forgive. And that's how we need to interact with one another. That's what it looks like to truly love others. Number six, he says, you always treat them as you would have them treat you. That's the the golden rule. Uh, And then paraphrasing 1 Corinthians 13, says, you are always patient and kind, never envious or boastful, never proud or rude, never self-seeking. You are not easily angered and you keep no record, even in your mind, of wrongs done to you. This is what Christ is calling us to, to love one another. This is the the expression of his commandment, this summary command. But then uh, in the second half of that verse, we see that the summary command is exemplified in Christ. And again, what what Jesus is building upon here is the command of Leviticus 19.18. You shall not take vengeance. You shall not keep your anger against the sons of your people. But you shall love your neighbor as yourself. It says, I am the Lord. The end of that verse. And Jesus is, is building upon that command, but there's a subtle shift. See, the Old Testament, the, the paradigm uh, and the illustration, the model of our love is that we are to love our neighbor as we naturally love ourselves. Right? We all have a natural care and concern for ourselves, and we're to think about the love that we show to ourselves and the care that we have for ourselves. And then that's the picture of how we're to love others. That's the Old Testament paradigm. But here what Jesus is doing is he's elevating it. And he's changing the pattern and the the paradigm that we're to follow. Old Testament pattern, how you love yourself, you're to love others. But New Testament pattern is how Christ has loved you. 
Which one of those is greater and more significant? Definitely Christ's love for us. As much as you love yourself, uh, but think, thinking through what Christ has done for you to demonstrate his love. And we are to look at the way that Jesus loved his disciples, and we are to emulate his love, just as I have loved you. But that's worthy of some, some thinking, right? How did Jesus love the disciples? Well, in this immediate context, he's talking about the laying down of his life. That, that he is willing to go to the cross, to, to suffer excruciatingly, physically, to suffer the wrath of God on their behalf, on our behalf. That is in the immediate context here. But don't push aside every day of Christ's obedient life. Right? We need Jesus to be perfectly obedient to the law, to be perfectly obedient to God the Father, because Christ's righteousness is placed upon us when we look to him in faith. He takes our sin and we get his righteousness. And so every single day... He obeyed for our benefit, right? You guys know how that goes. You can do well for a few days, but eventually you're like, I'm just kind of tired today, right? It's been a stressful, hectic week, or I didn't sleep that well, right? But Jesus never had an off day. Every day was perfect. And every perfect day is now counted to us. And every perfect day that he lived was an act of love. Think about how he was never impatient towards his disciples he never did anything but love and care for them and he never did anything to cause them to stumble into sin you and i uh, cause many people to stumble into sin because as soon as we're sinned against what do we tend to do we sin back Uh, and then now, now that person has a greater temptation to respond sinfully and it just escalates from there but christ lived every single day to the glory of god Out of love for God and love for neighbor. He did that perfectly. That is what we are called to do. And and the Apostle John makes that explicit in 1 John 3, 16. By this we have known love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. The Apostle John understood exactly what... he was called to do and what we are called to do. And so what would happen if we were actually living to or willing to live and die for one another? Let's just take even a smaller setting. What if we were to live, be willing to live and die for our family? Just think of that. Dads, well, what if you were to set aside all of your hobbies, all of your own interests and say, I'm going to act to the, the best benefit, the greatest uh, benefit for my family. Not doing everything to try to fulfill their wants and their dreams, but I'm going to do everything I can to see Christ formed in my wife and in my children. And I'm going to serve them and I'm going to model service to them. I'm going to love and care for them and I'm going to die to myself. I'm going to take up my cross and I'm going to follow Christ. What would our families look like if we just did that in the smallest setting? And then what would that look like if we expand it outward from there? If we're doing that well in our homes and then we begin to do that in our church body where we are willing to care for one another, 
to set aside our own agenda. Right? And, and usually, why do we not do this well? What's, our, what's the most common excuse? Think about what was the last time you, you had an opportunity and you didn't follow through in loving for others. Or maybe you don't even think about it. What excuse do we have? If I were to say, go serve your neighbors, what might you say? I'm too busy. Are, are we too busy to obey Christ? That, that's really what we're saying. I'm too busy with other things. And whose things are those? Probably. My agenda. What I want to do. Right? What I want to pursue around the house. And it may be good things. But are we completely disregarding this command? That is of the utmost importance. A church full of people living this out. We would be like those cartoon chipmunks, right? Who are arguing back and forth, but they're arguing about who should go first. Not demanding to go first, but they're like, no, no, after you. No, no, after you. Like, that's what we would be like. A bunch of cartoon chipmunks arguing, seeking to do good and seeking to, uh, to serve one another. And the alternative is described for us a little bit later in, in Galatians. We're going to get there over the next few weeks. But listen to Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. It says, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. In this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But here's the alternative. But if you bite and devour one another, beware that you are not consumed by one another. Paul's laying out a paradigm. If as individuals and as a church, we are growing in obedience to this command of Jesus, we will grow in love and affection for one another and we will experience a greater unity. But if we are failing in this, because we're too busy or this is not a priority or we just don't want to do it, the natural tendency will be towards doing what? We will begin to bite and devour. We will consume one another. We will descend into divisions and hardship and ugliness within the church. Those are the the two alternatives, and all of it depends upon whether or not we love one another. Again, what, what did Jesus lay out as the distinguishing mark back in chapter 13, verse 35? By this, the world will know that you are my disciples, that you love one another. This is what we have to, to understand. And, and the message that we have come to believe, uh, the message of the gospel, that we are all sinners in need of a Savior, that we have all rebelled against a holy God, and our only hope of rescue and forgiveness and reconciliation with our Creator is by trusting not in ourselves but in Christ. That's the message of the gospel. When you go and say that to a coworker, they look at you sideways, right? You say that to a neighbor, they're going to call you foolish. And that, that message of the gospel is foolishness to the world. But what's amazing to the world and what we're called to, if you turn over to Titus chapter 2, is that the message is foolish, but when they see it lived out in a Christian community, the world begins to ask questions. Titus chapter 2, beginning in verse 6, he says, Likewise, urge the younger men to be sensible. 
in all things show yourself to be a model of good works with purity in doctrine, dignified, sound in word, which is irreproachable, so that the opponent will be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. Urge slaves to be subject to their own masters in everything to be pleasing, not contradicting, not pilfering, but demonstrating all good faith, so that they will adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in everything. The idea of making beautiful. It's where we get our word for cosmetics. What do cosmetics do, ladies? And they, 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 they beautify, right? Our holy living as a church community adorns the gospel. And so the message may seem foolish, but when the world looks upon the way that we love one another, they say, well, maybe I need to hear more of this foolish message. Maybe there's something more to this that I need to figure out, that I need to evaluate, that I need to see. And that should be our goal and our ambition as we're loving one another. It's uh, out of motivation by what Christ has done for us, but also it's to glorify God. That's what we are able to do, and that should be our ambition. This is how we become salt and light, uh, and a light that burns ever brighter in the community. And so we need to really ask and evaluate, how can we grow in love for others? How can I set aside excuses? How do I become intentional in obeying this command? How do I look for needs? I was encouraged by somebody who came up this week and said, hey, you know, are there needs in the church? Is there something that I can do? And I said, yes. Uh, and I had some ideas for them. But those are all of the things that we need to be actively looking and searching for. Uh, but I would also say on the flip side, sometimes when we ourselves are in need, what do we, what do we tend not to do? Yeah, we tend not to talk about that. We don't want to appear weak or to bring our needs forward. And usually if we are unwilling to ever bring our needs forward, it's going it's to be hard for our church body to love us well. This is where an openness and a candidness of where we are and how others can be a help to us. Uh, and again, we don't have to go around soliciting help and begging in within that, but we should just be able to say, hey, this is where I'm at, and there's a care and concern mutually from all of our people, then those needs are going to be met. And that's going to be a profound message to the world, and uh, it builds up our church body. Uh, and I just want to encourage you, if you do have needs, please let us know. We have a, a benevolence fund that, that you guys have given generously to, uh, and we want to be able to meet needs within our church body. Okay? Talk to me. All right. There we go. I need to, you guys awake? Yeah. Stay, stay with me. But looking for ways to serve and do good for others. And so that may mean preparing a meal. I mean, uh, may mean being hospitable, opening your home. Of If you have things that you can give away, uh, uh, we have our ambassador classifieds. If you have stuff sitting in your garage or in storage, you're like, hey, somebody may be blessed by this. Uh, let us know. We can uh, communicate that to our church body. Uh, be willing to be inconvenienced. If you're going to love and care for others, it's really inconvenient when your own family gets sick, right? But then when so, somebody else gets sick and then they need a meal, you're like, that's really inconvenient. But that's when they need help the most, right? 
that that's when you can be the greatest blessing to them when their whole family is knocked out uh, with sickness and you come in with a meal. That's a tremendous blessing. And it may have inconvenienced you. You may have to to reschedule something or to set something aside that you wanted to do. But caring for them is going to be a tremendous blessing and give glory to God. Now, I would also encourage uh, as a family, look for ways to serve. Parents, do things with your kids to serve. If you're going to prep that meal, have them be a part. If you're going to take that meal to them, have them come with you. Begin to model for them a lifestyle of sacrifice and service to others. Because if parents, if you're just constantly gone and absent from the home serving others, what is that going to communicate to the kids? That they're way down the list rather than saying, hey, let's go serve and care for others together. That's a completely different endeavor. But that's what we should be striving for, serving together uh, as a family. And then we want to begin with our church family in terms of caring for and loving uh, one another here. But we can go beyond that. Again, what did I challenge you all to do in your neighborhood? Get to know your neighbors. Have them over at one point during the summer. Are you allowed to provide meals for neighbors also? Is, Is that allowed? Let me, let me try to find that somewhere in here. Yeah, that is 100% allowed. And that's, a, that's an unusual thing in the world around us. So ex, express care and concern, first and foremost, for your family, your church family, and then out into the world. But we should be looking for ways to go about and do that. We are to love one another. We've seen this command expressed. We've seen this command exemplified in the life and death of Jesus. And then third, we have uh, the summary command exalted by Christ. And this is really in verse 13. Jesus says, greater love has no one than this, than one lay down his life for his friends. This is probably a very familiar verse. And Jesus is explaining that this kind of selfless, Sacrificial love is the greatest kind of love. Love. One commentator said, Life sacrificed in death is the supreme gift and the mark of love. Uh, It is the absolute pinnacle of sacrificial love. uh, And the absolute pinnacle of all sacrifices is the love of Christ and the death of Christ. His sacrificial death was the greatest possible. His life was laid down for his, what does it say here? His friends. An actual word uh, is his beloved. Uh, those, his dear ones, the ones that he cared for affectionately. And Jesus laid his life down. He didn't need to die. Uh, and those whom he loved, he's going to call them friends here but romans 5 says that yes we become friends uh, as a result of what christ did and that's going to be what we see uh, in the very next couple of verses but romans 5 says that god demonstrates his love for us in that while we were yet sinners we were rebels we were against god and he showed love for us by sending his son to die on the cross that's what we see Uh, we also see that jesus suffered the wrath uh of God on the cross. He suffered excruciatingly before the cross. Jesus' death makes us friends. Uh, Again, we see that next week, and it's going to be absolutely glorious. And Jesus' sacrifice accomplishes the greatest good of any sacrifice. Now, early we we looked at what uh, the heroic actions of of Sarvash Karapetian, and you look at how he, he labored to rescue the people in that in that bus, but but I would point out a couple of things that he was only able to save those people from physical death. Right? He he did nothing to save their souls. 
Uh, His heroic actions also were not even able to guarantee them life. Think about that. How many times did he dive into the water? And And 37 people he brought out, but 20 survived. He couldn't even guarantee that the people that he rescued that they would survive once they were on the shore. And he himself was frail and limited in what he can do because he just, he went, 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 and then he eventually passed out. He had physical limitations of what he was able to do. But Christ's heroism, his sacrifice is far greater. He saves souls. He gives eternal life. Not just physical life, eternal life. And he guarantees the salvation of all who come to him. Right? He doesn't rescue partially. Uh, he saves completely. And that's what we need to, to rest in. And he's not frail or limited to how many he can save. And he invites everybody to come to him. Listen to Matthew 11, verses 28 to 30. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Christ bids everyone to come to him, and salvation is not capped. He doesn't turn anyone away because he can't handle any more. He works to save anyone who acknowledges their sin. Anyone who cries out to him for mercy and grace will receive exactly what they cry out for they will see and experience the love of christ in salvation and that's what we are called to do and if we have experienced that what are we now called and commanded to turn around and do to love exactly as he loved to go and do likewise and yes we're going to fall short i hope everybody sees that i'm to love everybody here in this church exactly as christ loved his disciples i'm going to fail every single day and i need grace and mercy in that but I still am commanded to to strive to obey. Amen? Amen. That's what I'm called and commanded to do. And Christ has instructed us here by expressing, by exemplifying, and by exalting sacrificial love for others. I'll quote Charles Spurgeon here at the end. He says, That laying down of life in our Lord's case was specially a proof of love, for he died voluntarily. There was no necessity upon him as upon us to die. Other men, if they died for us, would but pay the debt of nature a little before its time. But Jesus died who needed not to die. So far as he himself was concerned, he died also amid circumstances of pain and shame and desertion, which made the death peculiarly bitter. The death of the cross is to us the highest proof of our Savior's infinite love of us. And he must die the death of a felon between two thieves, utterly friendless, the object of a general ridicule. And this he must do as bearing our sins in his own body. And all this makes us say, behold how he loved us. Oh, beloved, can we doubt Christ's love since he laid down his life? No. Christ demonstrated his love for us on the cross, yielding up his life on our behalf. And I hope and pray that that this has persuaded you 
this is an area that you need to grow in. But I'll point out one, one more thing. How does, how does Jesus emphasize all of this at the beginning of verse 12? Says, this is my suggestion. This is, I'm pleading with you, please. He says, this is my commandment. May we all strive to obey it. Amen.